the, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to the Revolution Sports Podcast. Thank you for joining us today as we take this next step in the growth of Revolution Sports and the launching of this podcast. Now, with this being our first episode, I'd like to take a minute to introduce myself, explain what we're all about here at Revolution Sports, and just give you the general layout of how the podcast is going to go. First off, my name is Tyler Wood, and I'm your host. I'm the founder and director of Revolution Sports, and I'm just super excited about this journey that I'm on now. I'm a former basketball coach and a former sports tournament outreach director. And just after coaching for the past couple years, I just felt the need to move in a new direction and ended up starting Revolution Sports. Revolution Sports is all about one thing, and that's fighting back against today's culture. Anyone who's kept up with sports and politics from the mainstream media has been able to tell the culture surrounding these topics has grown increasingly woke and unenjoyable. And we are looking to do our part in the changing of this. How we plan to do this is, one, we'll continue to share factual sports and political news to keep you up to date with everything going on, even the news that the mainstream media tries to keep quiet. Two, we'll continue sharing our opinion articles on different sports and political topics. And third is this podcast where we'll share news and give opinionated commentary on those news topics. Everything I just mentioned can be found on our website, therevolutionsports.com, and our social media outlets. Social media outlets will be the quickest way to get our news updates throughout the day, and you can find links to all our all those social media outlets on our website as well. As for this podcast, we plan to release episodes every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and during the college football season, we'd like to give you a short episode to kind of give you a preview of the day's games and give you some predictions. If our schedule is altered or an episode is canceled, we'll be sure to let everyone know on our social media pages. That's why it's really important to follow the social media pages if you're interested in our podcast. Episode time frames will vary depending on the amount of news and information that's going on. So if it's a slower news day, we may not have as much to talk about, so the episode in general will be shorter. But for the most part, I'm looking to keep an episode in between 40 minutes to an hour. Each episode will be separated into two parts, like we already kind of mentioned a little bit, sports and politics. Sports will come for the first the majority of the time, but if there are any major like political stories, we'll switch over and we'll do politics to get the show started out. Our goal is to keep the two parts separated so that you, the listener, have the ability to choose what you want to listen to with ease and to keep make sure we keep sports uh, – uh, uh, make sports topics stay sports topics and keep political topics pl- political topics. With all that said, I once again want to thank you for joining us, and I just hope you enjoyed today's show in general. And I will ask that you bear with us if it is a little rough uh, around the edges. We're just getting started out with this, and obviously we're going to grow, and I hope you'll – You'll grow along with us and continue to listen to us as we move forward. Now, with that said, I know everyone's excited about college football coming, you know, first week, week one of college football. And I know myself, I'm extremely excited, especially with some of the big games that are coming on. 
but with that said, I'm going to start out with a different topic because we're going to have more of the college football side of stuff in our college football preview for week one, which will come out uh, actually tomorrow morning. Um, that would be a, that would be a small, I would say roughly about 20 to 30 minute show, just kind of give you a rundown of the big games that are going on. Um, and then kind of give you some predictions along that front as well. First topic I'd like to start out with, this was one that happened earlier, not actually not too long ago. It was about where just the Patriots, they ended up releasing Cam Newton. I know a lot of people were unhappy with this, and I mean, I can understand why, especially if you, you know, a lot of people like Cam Newton in general. He's a, he's a fun guy. He's, I mean, he doesn't really have any problems other than his college days in terms of uh, with the law or anything like that. And so a lot of people were just upset in general to see it. And, I, you know, a couple of things that I saw interesting, you know, were interesting is just how people get upset about that. But then they look at last year's stats and you look at um, other general stuff from just his time he's been there. I mean, just last year, his stats, he had eight touchdowns and ten interceptions. I mean, as a starting quarterback in the NFL, if you're having eight touchdowns and ten interceptions, you're probably not going to be a starting quarterback very long. And don't get me wrong, I have nothing against Cam Newton in general. I thought he was a decent quarterback, especially when he was back with the Carolina Panthers. But just now, in general, you're not you're not going to be a starting quarterback in this league throwing eight touchdowns and having ten interceptions. It's just it's just factual. It's the thing of another part of it, too, that – I think a lot of people are missing out on. I honestly think that Bill Belichick, well, he really wanted Mac Jones to be the starter. And it's easy to see why, though, because when you have someone like Mac Jones who came from a background of being coached by Nick Saban, who's a very similar type coach as Bill Belichick, it makes it easy and it makes it – you can see why he'd want him to be the guy. He's got – uh, great training. He's had a good, you know, strong background. He handles situations well. I mean, you can see that in Max season he had last year where he led Alabama to the uh, college football playoff and they end up winning the whole thing. I mean, he's just a he's a good pocket passer. He's got real good control of the of the offense in general, and it's real easy to see why Belichick wants that. Uh, it says that Jones impressed in practice, and that was obviously, like I said, no different than his season in Alabama. So it'll be real interesting to see how stuff goes on that front, especially considering that Mac Jones and two two teammates are going to be matching up in week one of the NFL season this coming Sunday. So that'll be a real interesting game to to see and see how well Mac Jones can progress coming from college to that and see if Tua's stepped up at all in terms of taking over that starting role. Uh, with that said, other sports news going on. got – the Lakers re-signing Rajon Rondo after being away for a year. I thought this was a, to be honest with you, I thought this was a really good signing for them. Break it down for you here in a, here for in a second. We'll give you a little couple quotes that Rondo had to say. He said, "Wisdom is definitely key to winning a championship." And then he also added, "We have guys that have mileage, but there's a reason they're still playing in this league at the level for so many years." And the reason I start out with that because I know the first thing that people think when they hear Rajon Rondo was signed, they think he's old, he's you know he doesn't he's not in his prime anymore. And then you think about the Lakers and who they signed this offseason, you're sitting there thinking, "Man, they're just old in general." And yeah, they they are older. They got a lot of older guys that. Right, I think Rondo said he's like the sixth youngest guy on the team. And that, I mean, that's pretty young considering that he's 35 himself. But, I mean, you got 
let's see, let's go down the ages. We got Carmelo Anthony, he's 37. You got LeBron James, who's 36. You got Mark Gasol, who's 36. Trevor Ariza, 36. Dwight Howard's 35. And like I said, Rondo, he's 35 as well. So you just, I mean, you got a lot of older guys on that. And I know what people are thinking. They're thinking the Lakers, they're not going to be very good. They're just going to be old. They're not going to last the entirety of the season. But, I mean, that would be more understandable if we were a couple years back. I don't know. It just seems like now players just know how to handle their bodies better in terms of taking care of them, getting the right treatments, doing the right, just everything they absolutely need to do, whether it's diets, anything, to prolong their careers. And I think that's been seen, especially in terms of LeBron, who's 36 now and can play at the level that he still plays at, where he's still averaging 25-7-7. I mean, that's incredible. And, yeah, there's some other players that are prolonging their careers more as well, but... With this signing, I think the biggest thing is just a big upgrade at point guard for the Lakers in general. Last year, they had Dennis Schroeder, who was running the point. And, I mean, he he did all right. But it was, you could tell, especially like even even before Anthony Davis came out and spoke about it, you could tell that they no one who was out there with Schroeder just was as comfortable as they were with Rondo when he was running running that spot the year before when they won the championship. And... He was just annoyed in general because Schroeder, he's he plays like a two, even though he's a one. So as a point as a point guard, you're supposed to take and run control, you know, control the offense. But he wasn't doing that. He's just more like a two guard where he's looking to score, he's looking to create for himself. He's not really looking to create for others. And I see people like LeBron and Anthony Davis who were frustrated they'd be on the block and they wouldn't get the ball, or it just makes it harder for them because then that means they have to go get the ball and then they have to do the work for themselves instead of having a, a point guard who's creating the offense in general for them. Uh, but the big thing with this, just like I said, it's a big upgrade at point guard between him and Russell Westbrook. And Rondo doesn't really have to carry the load. He can just come in and off the bench and give him the, you know, whatever minutes he can give him. And I think it also allows LeBron to play off the ball more because when Schroeder was there, if you really wanted a pass-first player, someone who was going to run the offense, they ran it all through LeBron last year. And I think that put a lot of extra wear on LeBron and kind of I think that could help factored into his injury that he had last year. And so this allows LeBron to be able to play on the block a little bit more than he has the past two years. Uh, having When you have guys like Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo who can create. So it's definitely good to see this signing for them in terms of uh, a backup point guard spot, and I, re- I think it really helps their their chances. And going back to his quote, he said, "We have you know guys that, that are playing in the league for years that are taking care of themselves." And then he also goes, "The wisdom is definitely key to winning a championship. You have guys that know how to how to play and know how to do things the right way. You're going to be right in the mix." And so, me personally, I'm not worried about their ages. I'm more I'd be more worried about how their skill set factors in together especially with the whole with the Westbrook trade. Now, like I said, he can distribute, but with him, I'm interested to see how that plays in the playoffs because he's not a shooter, neither is Rondo. So you have two point guards that really can't shoot the ball. So that is one factor you got to see. So I don't think the age really plays a factor into it. I think it's just a skill set that plays into it. But overall, this is very helpful for the Lakers, and I think it'll help their chances in actually getting back to the uh, – or at least past the first round of the playoffs that they since they didn't get past the first round this past year. So that is def, that'll be definitely interesting to see and I think it'll work out good for them. Now with that said, I'm going to move over to a little bit of college football. Like I said, I'm not going to get into it too deep because I'm going to kind of go over it more with our show on the shortened show for the 
week one of our football mini show. Uh, but I do want to talk about a couple, one of the games, especially that happened last week, that I kind of kept an eye on because I didn't really have too many big-name games on. But I thought one that was good to keep your eye on considering the ramifications around it and just the, the pressure that's being put on the program and on the coach from it was the Nebraska game last week. You got Scott Frost who comes in from UCF and he led them to – almost well he led them to one undefeated season and almost led them to another undefeated season and they were over there making claims you know about being national champs and you know should be in the playoff and whatnot but he comes over to here to nebraska everyone's excited a former storied program they've had a lot of success in the past expecting to be uh, restored to their former days and he's been there three years now and you haven't got that and so the pressure is on Scott Frost this year. He's on the hot seat, and everyone was interested to see how they were going to do. And just basically in their opener against Illinois, who's not was not expected to be a strong team, is not someone that people see as a threat because they're going through a coaching change this year with uh, <clears throat> just a coaching change in general. So it was real interesting to see Nebraska fall to them because it, it really wasn't even close. I know the score looks closer than – than in what it was, but it was it was thirty to twenty two was the final. But at one point you had them down thirty to nine, and thirty to nine you're at you're I mean that's just terrible, especially when you got a coach that's on the hot seat that wants to be there at his alma mater where he played at. And this is the this is the part that got me about this after the fact with Scott Frost was. Yeah, you came out there, you stunk it up, your team played bad, you coached terribly. But then he comes into the presser on Monday, and he go, he says, this was a quote from him specifically, it says about half of our game plan was out the window when they lined up how they did. Talking about and how Illinois lined up. And <clears throat> I thought that was crazy how he he would even mention something like that. And I understand coaches get out coached. I understand... Stuff happens. I understand game plans change, but at the same time, though, if you know game, if you're the head coach, you know game plans are going to change. You have to be able to adjust. He didn't. He didn't really adjust, and and the times that he did adjust, it was too late at that point. Like I said, you go down thirty to nine in the third quarter, you're going to be struggling the whole rest of the way. Um, and I just, I just hearing this comment is not something you want to hear from a coach that says that he's the man for the job here. Just you know, at his alma mater, that's not what you want to hear. You basically just said you got out coached. You also got outplayed. Just everything went wrong during your third season, and you're not helping your case. But especially when your overall record here at the school is 12 and 21, and you're 9 and 18 in conference play, in in the Big Ten, and it just really just does not make sense coming out and saying something like that. Because, like I said, it does not help your case. And I understand that he doesn't have the talent there yet. I understand he's still recruiting, but it's three. It's the like I said, it's his third. He's been there three years. It's it's time to see some results. But he hasn't had a good, done a really a great job of recruit, recruiting. And I know what people are thinking. There, why could he have success at a school like UCF? It's not a Big Ten school, but you know, struggle at Nebraska the way he does, especially at a storied franchise. Well, I think part of it is, especially, is when it comes to recruiting. You're in Nebraska, so 
and Nebraska, you're not really super known for being one of the football like powerhouse states where kids are coming for you know coming out of you know getting recruited out of. Where that's at, you're going to have Texas, you're going to have Georgia, Florida, and that mix. That's where you're having your big names at, and your you know really strong players coming out of. Now you say they're close to Texas, okay? But when you're close to when you're in with Texas, the players that are coming out of Texas are probably going to Texas or Oklahoma. So they're not really getting anything like that cuz and they're just in a bad spot in general. Now when he was at UCF, he had some NFL players, there were some players that went to the NFL and that played. And like I said now he's not not really getting any of that any of that now. Um, he still hadn't really been able to find a consistent quarterback. He's still with the same one that he's had for the last couple of years. He still struggled, and he struggled this this past game that they lost. So when he's at UCF, he had players that were not looking to move far away, not looking to really move out of the state. So they didn't, weren't really getting offers from Florida, or they didn't feel like they were going to get more play time from the teams that are around there. So they go to UCF because it's close to home, but it also gives them opportunity to you know play and be able to get – minutes at a school that's not necessarily a super huge name and I think when that happened he like I said had good players and was able to build them and they actually had something special down there and were able to beat some some good teams while he was there and like I said I just don't think he has he doesn't have that that ability there in Nebraska because they're really struggling in terms of recruiting front and and you're seeing that on the field especially when you're getting beat by a first-year coach and Brett Bilma over at Illinois so that is going to be real interesting to see with him being on the hot seat. I'm interested to see if he finishes out the season, especially if things continue to go worse. Because you got some, you got some big teams. I understand they're playing uh, Fordham this Saturday, so they should be able to get a get a win out of that. But after that, you got teams like Oklahoma, and then you can go down the list. They got some good teams that are still, you know, still there. So uh, it's going to be real interesting to see. So uh, with that said. That's our sports segment. I'm going to go ahead and switch over to our to our political segment because this is going to be a little bit longer. There's a little bit more that's been going on in terms of terms of politics. I have more on the sports stuff as we like I said when we get into our Saturday mini show for college football, but also as we, you know, have results from college football and from the NFL being over with Sunday. So, we'll have a lot more in terms of that, but for now we really want to get into the political side of stuff because there's just a lot of information that's been going on with stuff here lately. First topic that I've really been keeping up with, I know a lot of other people have kept up with for a while now, uh, is just the different laws that's been passed in different states in terms of abortion. And Texas finally was, it was time to implement the one that they were passing, and a lot of people obviously were unhappy with it, so they filed lawsuits and it got sent up. Well, they got tried to someone tried to file an emergency injunction with the emergency appeal with the Supreme Court, and didn't go in their favor. The Supreme Court voted five to four to deny the emergency appeal, and what this ended up doing is it allowed the Texas law of abortion of no abortions after there was cardiac activity detected in a fetus. So at this point, anyone at roughly around six weeks that is pregnant past six weeks, you got cardiac activity, you can no longer have an abortion. And obviously, like I said, they sent that, up, that appeal to the emergency appeal to the Supreme Court. They did not vote in favor of it. So now this is actual law in the state of Texas. And just going down through some of the stuff that, that some of the Supreme Court justices said, like I'll, I'll read one from 
John Roberts. In reaching this conclusion, we stress that we do not purport to resolve definitively any jurisdictional or substantive claim in the applicant's lawsuit. In particular, this order is not based on any conclusion about the constitutionality of Texas's law and in no way limits other procedural, procedurally proper challenges to the Texas law, including in Texas state courts. Uh, he was one of the John Roberts was also one of the ones that voted against or voted for the emergency appeal. But like I said, they have five uh, five other conservative justices that voted against it, so it did not pass, you know did not go into effect. So now you got Texas law that is now in effect can't allow abortions past six weeks or when cardiac activity is detected, and obviously you got liberals that are extremely ticked off about it. I think I've seen anyone from Joe Biden to Kamala Harris to. Uh, Hillary Clinton, you name it, they've they've all been out about it. And the reason why this is something that they've all ran on for years, they all support they all support women's rights, they all support the women's right to to in my opinion kill kill their child. Um but to me, I think there's something there's something in this that a lot of people miss and there well two things that a lot of people really miss. One is just in general how outraged Democrats get about this, and why is it so important? Like in terms of it, if there's a, there's heartbeat activity, you know that baby is alive. You got a heartbeat, but they're just they say it's just a women's right to be able to do this. And I just want to know where the consistency is with this in general, because it's hilarious. Because they in one of the other judges that in one of their statements they talked about how this was. patently unconstitutional and said this allows private parties to carry out unconstitutional restrictions on the state's behalf says a woman has a federal another one said a woman has women has a federal constitutional right to obtain an abortion during the first stage of pregnancy thing is about this is where in the constitution can you actually show me where it says a woman has a right to have an abortion or kill their fetus that is in their their uterus or that is in their their stomach where is in the constitution is is that and you can't find it and so they try to use this i'll give you an example of what they try to use and basically how it doesn't make any sense how there's no consistency and how why the democrats play this in the first place um well here it is the 14th amendment provides the what they say the right to privacy is and this is what they try to use as abortions rights they say your right to privacy is it's your body it's your choice you have the option to kill the fetus if you'd like to to be able to remove this be able to move on with your life don't accept the consequences of your choices that you made in the past you can move on scot-free kill this baby and you're fine obviously they don't look at it as a baby they just look at it as a clump of cells but i'm just being honest with you what it really is it is a baby that they are killing because they don't want to set the responsibility of their actions by having sex and forming a baby they that's the that's one of the one of the things that gets me too is just the, we have a lack of responsibility in our country and it shows all the way up from the top down and i'll get more into the from the top up i mean from the top but it honestly just does not make any sense in terms of this because they use the privacy thing but then they turn around and they use other other excuses to try and push a vaccine that was rushed to approval in eight months 
and they say you have they ha- they can mandate this at your job. You they can make you do this. They can make you do that with it. You got to get this jab. They got to do all that. But you have a right to privacy if you're a woman to kill someone. But you don't have a right to privacy to not have a experimental vaccine shoved in your arm. There's just no consistency in terms of the Democrats, and the thing is that they don't care either. They do this because what it allows it. It allows them to set their rules that they want. It allows them to be able to push it on to their to their voters, and they go around and they spread they spread these lies and they spread these uh, these false constitutional problems or these false constitutionalities. And it ends up you're seeing the culture of our country is being changed to a point that we've never seen before, and it's just absolutely absolutely crazy but that's the grounds that they're using this on it's just the right to privacy and like i said it's there's no point in there where it says that right to privacy includes you having an abortion they cannot show you that but we have four supreme court justices that voted in favor of this emergency appeal that will tell you otherwise and that's a scary thought to think you have four supreme court justices that honestly interpret the constitution different than what it actually reads and i understand there's different ways to interpret the constitution in terms of today but you can't just sit here and make up stuff and try to throw it in there to make you know make it seem like it fits that's not how this works it was made to protect your rights as as an american citizen but never once does it say you can have an abortion so that's just another one of the the made up stuff that the democrats and some of these phony republicans want to throw in there to be able to get this because it benefits them and it also benefits the people that support them keeps them in office in general uh, so that's a little bit on the that story that's gonna probably you'll probably hear more about that there's a couple other cases that are coming up about abortion and stuff like that. they had another one that is out of mississippi that was already going to hit the hit the docket here in the fall about stopping abortions past 15 weeks of pregnancy in Mississippi. So something similar to this was already going to come up. Now, obviously, that one would probably be more in-depth because that is a whole um, court hearing that's going to happen. So that one's not just something that about taking up or, you know, taking up an emergency appeal or anything like that. That's going to be a whole case on it that some people are hoping that could eventually lead to the whole repeal of Roe v. Wade. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out about that. So definitely we'll keep your, keep you informed on that and just keep your eye on that in general. Cause like I said, you're going to see a lot of, see a lot of backlash from that on that from the Democrats. And like I said, they're already using that now in terms of the Republicans don't care about your rights. They don't care about, uh, what you you know what you want to do with your body, but just the irony of it because they don't let you you know care about your body when it comes to it in terms of putting that that needle in your arm for that shot. So they never want to talk about that. But moving on from there, like I said, we're going to kind of get into the as we're talking about how just the whole top down is messed up. Going to talk about the top for a little bit, and this one was real interesting to me. I saw this this article the other night. It was, came from the Daily Mail and. It was a whole article on how they got a they got a copy. Well, Reuters actually got the copy or, or transcripts of a phone call Biden had between him and President Ghani of uh, Afghanistan at the time before he was removed from power, and talking about how talking about how they needed to change the narrative on how the Afghanistan withdrawal was going because it wasn't. It wasn't going well in the eyes of the public and the neighboring countries and stuff like that. So basically, what Biden said, and I'll, let me let me pull it up real quick because I want to make sure you get this exact statement from the president of the United States and what he said. He said this to another foreign leader. He said, "I need not tell you the perception around the world and in the parts of Afghanistan. 
I believe, is that the things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. We have a president of the United States that is actively giving out misinformation to the population. And he doesn't. He doesn't care at all. But the thing is, because this is what they've been doing from the very beginning. But at this point, we're costing American lives in terms of what we're doing. Here in Afghanistan, we now have 13 U.S. troops that lost their lives because of a whole mismanagement on this crisis from, like I said, from the very beginning. It, you could just tell it was going to fall apart. And the President of the United States will not even take responsibility for his screw up in this he hasn't he hasn't once taken responsibility other than his oh you know the buck stops with me but then turns around and throws all the blame on former presidents or other people involved in the situation and it's just it's just absolutely insane that we've gotten to the point it costs 13 u.s lives but then you take it up another step he's actively talking with the president of this other country saying that okay we don't want to be held responsible for what's going on right now so we need to change this whole narrative on how it is so we don't look weak and we can act like we didn't understand what went on but the thing is biden knew beforehand that the taliban was going to be taken over because everyone was hearing rumblings about it in the first place and it's even funny though cuz after this phone call which was on July 23rd you turn around and just last week he's over here still saying that his whole team was caught flat-footed on the rapid Taliban takeover of the country. That that literally makes no sense whatsoever. You knew they were they knew they were coming even though they had some intelligence communities that said it was going to take 17 months but it took 11 days. You can't sit here and say that you didn't know it was coming if it took 11 days. If you didn't know it all. You you just like I said, you just need to resign in the first place. He needs to resign from this whole situation, anyways. But I mean, this U.S. intelligence commu- uh, uh, community—that's just a whole other thing in general. It's it's been absolutely terrible. But I think some of the stuff that's still getting me. So, like I said, we have a president that is actively trying to change a whole narrative on a situation because he doesn't want to take responsibility for his withdrawal of U.S. troops. But on top of it, like I said, we have 13 U.S. troops that are dead from it. But then. To add to it, we have 100 to, 100 to 200 Americans that are still stuck in Afghanistan after the withdrawal. So we have no U.S. troops over there anymore. We are actively pulled out of Afghanistan. That whole chapter is closed, but we still have 100 to 200 Americans that are still stranded over there. To me, that is that bugs me to no end because we've always done we've always had this thing in America where it's no American is left behind. And thing is, it's hilarious because Biden even said we're we're gonna stay as long as it takes to get everyone out. He just said that in an interview like in like two weeks ago. But then he turns around, he still finished the the troop withdrawal even before the actual deadline, and a hundred to two hundred are still trapped over there. They say they want to come home, that are scared. I've heard different stories of people that where the Taliban is actively tracking them down because on top of it, our dumb president and. His administration decided to give the Taliban a list of all the people that needed to be removed from the country that were trying to come. So they actively had these people. So, I mean, why would they not go hunt them down? I mean, just from – it just absolutely bugs me and ticks me off because of just how bad this whole situation was mismanaged. And to add on top of it, add on all of it, I know we're just stacking stuff and stacking stuff. He turns around and then says that this was – his whole withdrawal was a success. 
How in the world is this whole withdrawal a success? You have 13 U.S. troops that are dead. You have pe- countless people that are still left over there in Afghanistan. You look like a weak country now because of the because of the Taliban takeover, and they ran you out, and you gave in to every single demand they made. It 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 just doesn't add up whatsoever. But like I said, it's a, it's a success over here in America. It's like someone said the other day. They said they said that we got 90 percent of the people out of out of America. Someone said, oh, 90%, you know, if you're taking a test, 90% is a good test, but the thing is, we're not talking about a test, we're talking about American lives that are left over in Amer- in Afghanistan. And we're not doing, they say we're doing stuff to help them get out, but at this point, I haven't heard of any other Americans that have gotten out since the withdrawal. They're just stuck over there, because there's nothing we can do. They have full takeover of the airport there. We can't go in anymore without actively getting approval, and obviously, we're not going to get approval, because they don't want us there in the first place. And the this whole fiasco has ended up driving Biden's, which is good, though, because it's good to see that there is some accountability in it. But Biden's approval rating has completely plummeted over just the past couple weeks. Uh, we've seen him over 50 percent for most part of his presidency, which I don't believe one bit. I always tell people that if you see a poll from a mainstream media company and it, you know, Whatever it is, always take 10% from it because that's probably what the real answer is. So you've always had these high numbers. Then all of a sudden you look at this Rasmussen poll, which shows that he's at 42% at an approval rating of 42%. And there was another poll from them that said that 52% of Americans believe that he should resign over the Afghanistan situation. But according to Joe Biden, it's not his fault at all when you have the majority of America that say he is responsible for every bit of it. And how can you not say he's responsible? Because if you look at the plan that President Trump laid out and they keep trying to pin this on him, which absolutely makes no sense at all because he actively shared not that long ago his plan on how he would withdraw. He was talking about how Biden hit when his Biden's plan he ended up pulling all the started pulling the troops out at first which left the citizens and they never got the the military equipment out. Trump said, "Why would you not go go get all the citizens out? Then you go and you pull the equipment out and then you bomb the bases and push the Taliban back and these terrorist organizations like ISIS-K back. And then you would draw the troops so that way the Afghanistan military has a chance to be able to stand up on its own and defend its country against these people. But no, Biden goes in, he pulls out all the troops, he leaves the citizens there, so we end up having to send a couple extra thousand back in to be able to help. We leave all the military equipment for them to have, so they've got countless Blackhawks, they got tons of stuff that you can name, more. some military equipment that actual whole countries don't even have. we got the Taliban that has it now. And then we have U.S. troops that died on top of it. The thing that also is incredible about this is that when Biden, he ran for president last year, he always talked about how he had been in the Senate for 36 years. He had all this experience when it came to, when it came to foreign policy and he had dealt with multiple foreign, foreign leaders when he was the, when he was the vice president of the United States under Obama. And he always kept, you know, kept talking about that. He's going to be a seasoned leader. America would be back and then now you've ruined our relationship with England because they feel like we absolutely screwed the whole situation up. And then now you have Americans that agree with them, but the president of the United States won't take responsibility from it. And then now we also find out on top of it, he was trying to cover it up this whole time. But the cover up 
this cover-up, we're not even going to do anything about it, but because President Trump made a phone call last year, we impeached him over it. There's just no consistency in any of it. You go, Like I said, you go from the abortion, my body, my choice, okay, but you have to get the vax, and then now you got this phone call was fine because Biden made it, you know, he didn't do anything. It's, he, he was just trying to, you know, make sure America didn't look weak. And then, but you impeached Trump last year for a phone call that he made. Just none of it adds up. There's so, so much inconsistency, and all of it, it, it would just drive you up a, up a wall if you continue to if you continue to think about it. And there's so much more that goes into it. But like I said, and it doesn't just stop there with Joe in terms of the cover up. His whole administration's been doing it since the since the very beginning. And when it anything that came to misinformation they'll lie about it but then if anybody else puts out inf- misinformation they're going to make sure that they uh make sure that they have they're going to make sure that they have people that are going to actively censor you and take down your opinions and everything that you're talking about in terms of quote-unquote misinformation basically anything that the you know that you say that disagrees with the government narrative. But like I said, the president of the United States can actively go and cover up his mistakes, but then on top of it, have his press secretary go in and won't even answer about the phone call. So we have no accountability. We have no consistency at this point. The government ran by the Democrats in America. is just an absolute joke at this point. And where does that leave us? That leaves us with, getting ready to have an election in 2022 because that's about the only way that you're actively going to be able to make sure that their agendas get stopped, that this craziness can be stopped. Obviously, there's stuff that he can still do as the president of the United States, but if you actively want to make sure that he can do as little as damage as possible, we all have to get ready for this 2022 election, and we have to be able to make sure that we go out and we encourage people to vote, that we get out there in big numbers, and that we get Republicans and we get conservative people into office. That way we can minimize the damage that he does. Because in the whole eight months, seven, eight months that he's been president, it's just been an absolute train wreck. Everyone always used to say Jimmy Carter was the worst president in United States history. He was so bad that... And every that Biden would, you know, he, he, we're going to compare Biden to Jimmy Carter because he started off rough. At this point, we're going to be comparing, Joe, you know, everyone to Joe Biden in terms of decisions because his has just been absolutely terrible. Gas prices through the roof, consumer prices through the roof. You have a border crisis that continues on that, amazingly, the media has stopped talking about because obviously they don't want even more bad information to be seen by people. And I mean, you can just keep going. The list goes on and on. We've lost our respect around the, you know, around the whole entire world. Now the Taliban's even saying that they're they're close friends with China. So now it's like they're laughing at us on top of it because they know how our relations are with China. I mean, just none of it actively adds up in terms of how they how they're running stuff. Unless you look at it in terms of they're actively trying to destroy our country. Which I mean may be the case. It wouldn't surprise me with the way with the way stuff has been, because I don't think you could actively try to run a country worse than what they have done. So the only way, like I said, you can minimize the damage with that is if you actively go out, you vote, you get people in office for twenty twenty two, and that's the way you're gonna ha- we're gonna have to hold them accountable. Obviously, you know, spread your voice, spread your opinion. That's another way to do it. But we got to start calling these people out on this stuff and that's what we're going to continue to do here at revolution sports and 
with that said, I want to thank you, everyone, for joining us today on our first podcast. Like I said, it's could possibly be a little rough sometimes trying to get work out the kinks. We're new at this, so we're going to continue to work on it. We hope you continue to join us. Like I said, tomorrow we'll have a whole slew of about 20, 30 minutes of just information on game uh, week one of college football, have all the big games to talk about. We'll be talking about the Georgia-Clemson game. We'll be talking about the Alabama-Miami game, a couple other big matchups that are going on. We're excited to talk about that, and I'm excited to give you our predictions on that. But with that said, we appreciate you joining us, and we hope that you all have a great day. Mm-hmm.